Um, it's going to have a focus of forgiveness. Um, and so I came up with this title, Forgiveness from the Unforgiven. Um, and it's one of those things that the more I thought about it, it's like crazy confusing. And, um, and so when I think about forgiveness, I think about there being, it's a two-party system. Um, and not Democrats and Republicans, but two people. Um, so you've got two people. So if we think about the two parties being, um, let's say, Jesus and sinners or Jesus and the world, and you look at this phrase, you say, so, okay, so forgiveness from, so who's getting forgiveness? Who needs forgiveness? Well, that wouldn't be Jesus, right? That would be the world, probably. So we could think about this phrase meaning the world is getting forgiveness from, well, who's unforgiven? Well, in a sense, Jesus never did anything wrong, but certainly the world never cut him much slack while he was here. So there wasn't a lot of forgiveness for the fact that he was different going on there. Um, I tried to look at it a little differently, thinking the other direction was unforgiveness from the forgiven. Um, and so in this case, we talk about Jesus being the one that wasn't getting any forgiveness. Um, and he was getting that from the very people that he was forgiving. So, okay, kind of messes with you a little bit. Um, so then I just decided to go with let it go. Okay, so, so that was uh, the reason for the theme song today. Um, so for me, um, some of you may, may have heard me say this before, but in so many times in my life, I feel like I'm holding on to something. You guys ever seen me do this? Holding on to it really tight. You, you caught the bird and you're holding it and you just need to just let it go, okay. And so I like that phrase, let it go. Um, and I think in the world of forgiveness, there's a lot to be said for knowing when to hold on to things and when to let them go. And uh, so we'll dig into that a little bit today. All right, um, and with that, let's dive into it. So my life and forgiveness, um, I think that, uh, as I look back, if someone were to ask me, Quinn, do you have a problem with forgiveness? So, so let's just ask you guys. Anybody here think you have a problem with forgiveness, that you struggle to give it, or that you're dying to get it? Or, did I see a hand, maybe? Look. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, okay, you guys, are, you guys kind of all struggle a little bit with it. You should, at least a little bit, I think. Um, but if someone were to ask me, forgiveness about my forgiveness challenges in my life, I would just say generally, I don't feel like they've absorbed me. Um, but as I got into that today, I started thinking like, that's what I think. I, I, I think they don't absorb me. Um, and so then I started thinking about, well, but part of that is that I, I've been blessed. I've got great family. You know, we get along with our, my family on my side, on Jill's side real well. Got lots of great friends. Um, I, I really do think I had extraordinarily good bosses over the years at work. I, I can't think of a single time that I've had my direct report that has just been a real jerk. And some of you have experienced working for someone that was a real jerk. Um, but as I think about it a little bit more, um, I think forgiveness may be harder for me than I think. I wrote down here, um, I remember the first time that I struggled with forgiveness like all out was uh, Jill's father who passed away last summer. Um, he left uh, her mom, and this was about 29 years ago, um, and I had a hard time dealing with that and getting to the point, but I felt like I got there, and I, and I could, would have almost always told everyone that that was kind of the only time I really struggled with that that I could remember. But I started digging this morning and thinking, and I realized that when I went to Purdue, 
I was supposed to get my uh, doctorate degree, but I had a professor there. Um, my kids know that professor probably. You might not remember the name. You've heard me talk about a professor at Purdue that I didn't like very much. Um, and I realized, like, yeah, like, I'm kind of holding on to that a little bit. Um, when I left Cummins back in 2001, I realized if I'm thinking about it, I'm still kind of holding on to that a little bit, still kind of frustrated. When I left Persia four years ago, I'm still, if I'm really honest, the one main person that kind of drove me to leave, still kind of hopped off at that person. Is that fair, Jill? You think I still am? Yeah. So, so this idea that I'm doing, I've got a coworker right now that I'm struggling with forgiveness with, I think, if I'm being honest. Um, when I think back to First Christian Church when we left to become the living room, I think there were some weird things happening there. I think I'm still kind of holding on to it a little bit. Um, and then just, uh, what was it, yesterday or the day before, I was talking about some close, dear friends of mine that I don't see as often as I used to, and I made some little remark, and Jill kind of was like, like, you need to be careful. And, or is that what she says? Like, you need to be careful. You need to watch it or something like that. Because she sensed the undertow. And so I started thinking, like, yeah, I'm kidding myself here. There's, there's, there's more struggle with forgiveness than I want to admit to. Um, so we're supposed to be looking at verses 15 uh, through 35, but I'm going to start at verse 21 and tell you why in just a minute. So uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 22, this is the NCV, I think. Um, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, when my fellow believer sins against me, how many times must I forgive him? Forgive him? Should I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, you must forgive him more than seven times. You must forgive him even if he wrongs you 70 times seven. And probably most of you heard stories that the, the point of this is not the numbers. The point of this is that it's a lot. Um, you know, uh, Peter was trying to kind of say, is there this sort of tangible small number? Like you forgive them a few times and at some point you cut them off. And Jesus is kind of saying, no, that's not the way it works. So I see this as sort of the foundation of this whole talk, this idea that there's no limit to forgiveness. You know, so that's a good starting point for us. Um, and so any of you guys that are thinking about how much you struggle <clears throat> with forgiveness, I think we all need to be reminded with that list of people that I just made up that there should be no limit to my effort, my, my attempt to forgive them and get past these things that I'm still holding on to this day. And probably in almost every case, if I were to go talk to them, they would be blown away that I'm still holding on to that because they probably forgot about it, you know, the day it happened or something like that. And yet to me, I'm not letting it go, let it go. Um, so I also think that this, these are, uh, this is a concept that resonates well with Jesus. It's like very Jesus-y, you know, it's the kind of thing this idea that Jesus would just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Are you guys with me? It, it feels like something Jesus would do, as opposed to if Jesus had said, oh yeah, this is real easy. You forgive them three times and then hammer down and you hang them, you know, or something like that. You know, it's like, that's not where we like to see Jesus going. At least I think in the TLR community, especially, we're kind of wired that way. Um, some similar concepts are this idea of turning the other cheek, the idea that the last will be first, that's a hard thing to grasp. You know, the idea that um, those who uh, are least will be, be most and those kinds of things, even though we all strive for the top of the pile. 
Um, this idea of love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And how many of you guys have some cruddy neighbors? You guys haven't lived there long enough to know yet, but, uh, <laughs> but they're probably around. There's some down the road that are questionable. So. Um, oh, that's too bad, yeah. All right. Um, so the summary of this, as I just said, is that I think this is very, very Jesus-y. This is something we can, we can kind of embrace. Um, and you should use the word Jesus-y as often as possible. Um, it does look weird. In fact, I kept thinking, like, should it be an IE or a Y? Or, yeah, I thought, I thought, nope, it's like that. That's the way it should be. Okay, so let's uh, let's keep reading. How are we doing on time here? We're sh- a little short on time today, so I want to keep moving. Okay, so this is the next verse, Matthew 18, verse 23 through 27. <clears throat> so Jesus starts to respond back with a story, with a parable. Um, and so I think as we read through this, we want to just keep that in mind that there's something that's trying to be, there's a point that's trying to be made here. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven, so this is basically saying this is the way it is from his perspective or from God's perspective. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to collect the money his servants owed him. When the king began to collect his money, a servant who owed him several million dollars was brought to him. Okay, so now let's push pause. Who has all the money in a kingdom? Kings in general. Um, kings do collect money from their servants, but you know normally it's not the servant that is carrying or ever owing the king a large sum of money. So Jesus is setting up a very silly story here. Um, in the uh, lectionary um, that, uh, what do you call it? The, 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 the people that, the commentary. In the, um, I sort of major echo there when I said that. Um, in the commentary, they were saying that, you know, really, it's supposed to be a humongous number. It's probably more, you probably, in today's terms, a million dollars is pseudo-plausible, you know, probably not for a servant, but, um, but they said probably should be, the word should be billion. So, so the idea is that this is a ridiculous no- amount of money. The king should have never been able to think for a moment that the servant would be able to uh, pay him that. It says, so, but the servant did not have enough money to pay his master, no surprise, um, to pay his master the king. So the master ordered that everything the servant owned should be sold, even the servant's wife, wife and children. And again, it's a very ridiculous story. Why would the king want these things? He doesn't need these things, okay? And, and how would any of that ever balance out to millions or billions of dollars? So, all right. Thank you for working on that. Um, so then uh, it says, so, so then the money would be used to pay the king um, what the servant owed. It says, but the servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me. I will pay you everything I owe, which again, ridiculous. He was never going to be able to pay everything he owes in this story. And the master felt sorry for his servant and told him he did not have to pay it back. Then he let the servant go free. Okay. So the main thing I want to get out of this, I think the story kind of holds its own weight is that the king is being very Jesus-y again, okay? So we can kind of grasp this. This king is taking a situation where there is somebody that has done something that is so big, so ridiculously large, that they can't ever recover from it. It's like if someone steals something from you, but then they ultimately pay you back at some point, you feel kind of justified. But in this case, Jesus is saying, this is something so big, so crazy, it can never be justified through normal methods. It's only going to happen through, for, through someone forgiving someone else. 
and that's what the king did. It's very easy for us to see that that's the way we should live. Okay, let's keep reading. Now we're in verses 28 through 31. Later, that same servant found another servant who owed him a few dollars. Okay, extreme the other direction now. The point is that we're talking about an amount of money that is meaningless. The kind of thing, you know, still one of the uh, one of my words of wisdoms in life. One of my words of wisdom to you in life would be: if someone ever says, "Can I borrow money to buy a coke?" You say, "No," but I'll give you money to borrow a coke because I've seen fights over people that borrowed a dollar from somebody and then someone is miffed about it for three months because of that. So just don't do it. Give them a dollar. Don't loan it to them. Okay, back. So um, it says, later the same servant found another servant who owed him a few dollars. The servant grabbed him around the neck and said, pay me the money you owe me. The other servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you everything I owe. But the first servant refused to be patient and threw the other servant into prison until he could pay everything he owed. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were very sorry. So they went and told their master all that had happened. All right. And so this is a nice, clean story again, because in this case, the servant is not very Jesus-y, right? It's a very clear story. We're talking about a meaningless amount of money, and someone's being thrown in jail over it just because they can't forgive for that. All right, so everything's flowing here. We've got Jesus-type action, Jesus-type action, and then an action that is clearly intended to not be Jesus-like. Okay, can you see where I'm going here? Something's going to change. All right. So uh, the end of this, verses 32 through 35, it says, Then the master called his servant in and said, You evil servant, because you begged me to forget what you to forget what you owed, I told you that you did not have to pay anything. You should have showed mercy to that other servant, just as I showed mercy to you. The master was very angry and put the servant in prison to be punished until he could pay everything he owed. This king did what my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Bum, bum, right? All right. So is the king Jesus-y in this case? I mean, he is by default, right? Jesus just said, this is exactly what my father would do. But listen up a little bit. You can talk. Do you feel like that was a particularly Jesus-y thing to say, Oh, since you did this, I am going to put the smack down on you. Any, any thoughts? No? The commentary, uh, in the commentary, they talked a lot about this because they said it's quite confusing. Um, there's no easy answer to this um, other than trying to make sure that we're grasping what the point of everything that is, is going on here is all about. Um, because clearly, you're going from a statement that says forgiveness has no bounds, zero bounds. There is no situation where forgiveness should be bounded. Okay, that's the whole point of the beginning of that story. Billions of dollars are being forgiven, you know, just forgiven, done and over. Um, and then the story over these two guys mucking around about a few bucks here and there turns into a guy getting the snack down put on him. Okay, so what is up with that? So. I don't have answers for you, um, but we will cover um, a couple of things here. I'll say some cud, some cud to chew on for you. Believe it or not, in the commentary, they said that another way to think about forgiveness, if you look at the original Greek from this, 
is it translates lit very literally to let it go. Who would have thought? So I thought that was pretty interesting. See, I saved that little nugget. Didn't let that come out until later. So you thought it was so, it's all based on that other weirdness of me. Yes, it's, it's like an Easter egg, but it's not Easter yet. Um, anyway, so Greek for forgiveness means let it go. Um, but for me, as I read through this, I think something that really, really jumps out in a big way is that there needs to be some sort of accountability. Um, there's, there's something about accountability. You find this at lots of places in Scripture where there's this sense um, and there's verbiage that is indicating that you do good or something will happen. Um, it's really a lot of the foundation for kind of a hell and brimstone type of, of preaching is that, you know, this, this idea that if you live life right, you'll get to go to some wonderful place that we call heaven. If you don't, you will burn eternal uh, for an eternity. Um, and you will see these things through scripture, and it's a little bit hard sometimes to deal with it, but my takeaway for today that I think we should think about is this idea that there is something important about accountability. So a few questions here. Should the threat, and by the threat I mean this idea that you do this or something bad is going to happen to you, should the threat affect our forgiveness actions? Should we only forgive because we're afraid of what will happen to us if we don't forgive? Or should we forgive regardless? It's a little quiet. Okay. Yeah, I, oh! Somebody else, I'm, yeah, one. Uh, no, I mean, God, like, he wants, you know, he wants to change our heart. Right? Mm -hmm. He gives us a new heart. And, and our actions are born out of a new heart and his spirit within us, not a fear of punishment. Okay. I think in a lot of ways that maybe this later aspect of the story is brought in for us to remember about the laws in our own eyes. So it's like it's easy for us to see the wrongs that other people do to us. And so we want to take retribution. We want to enact um, justice. I'm putting it in air quotes. Um, upon other people. But we forget the links at which we have harmed or hurt others. Well, it's easy to forget that one. Right. Yeah. And so I think maybe the point of the story is not about a threat of some sort of like punishment or eternal damnation or whatever, because in some of the translations it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth and all of that, which is a lot of times where people take hell from in Matthew's gospel. And so I don't think it's about that. I think it's about remember how much you have been forgiven. So don't go and lord all this other stuff over other people because you have messed up so much, there's no way that you could have paid that debt. Right. So be encouraging and honest about the way that you forgive and care for other people because you have to remember the debt that you owe. Right. But it's not like a... God's not hanging that over us. It's more like, remember what you've come through. Remember what you've been forgiven of so that you may have that grace for others. So you don't forget your past, kind of a thing. Right, right, exactly. I'm going to throw this other question up here. How often in life does the threat 
the threat of, of something going wrong affect our forgiveness actions or affect us in general? So let, let me put it more simply. How often do you act differently? Let's say you're at work. How often do you act differently on a day when you know you're very, what you're doing is very visible to your management on a day when you're doing stuff that you're not so visible to your management? Accountability. How, how often do you, let's say in the exercise world, how often do, do you actually exercise because you've got maybe an accountability partner, somebody you know is gonna ask you or somehow or another you're doing something that is going to make you be kind of exposed if you don't do it. Do you guys respond to that? I mean, you do. I mean, there's lots and lots of data out there that says accountability is huge in almost every way possible. Companies like Cummins really struggle with this because um, accountability has a vibe of the old way of doing things and kind of a heavy-fisted kind of approach to things. You completely remove all accountability, tell everybody, we don't care how many hours you work, we don't care whether you come to the office or not, just get the job done when you can, and productivity just plummets. I mean, they've done lots of studies and shown this type of thing. Um, and so, for me, as I'm looking through this, I do think there's something to this idea of accountability. Um, I don't know why the words were written the way they were. Um, the threat shouldn't mean anything. Um, in fact, I remember talking many years ago with a friend and saying I was always a little confused why some people didn't want to become Christians because I felt like becoming a Christian, just life just got better. And it was a very narrow, a very um, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, but anyway, the strange bubble I was living in at that time that I didn't really understand the world and how much struggle, uh, how, how, how much of a life, how much of a struggle life was for many people. Um, I wrote down here that threats should have no impact on us. We know that righteousness always wins, or at least I, I think we try to tell ourselves that, um, but we certainly struggle to get there. Um, and, and I think it's because righteousness, righteousness is so appealing. Um, like a friend of mine once said, if he ever could be confident there was no hell, if he could ever be absolutely dead certain that what was referred to as hell simply meant my life ceases to exist when I die. They said, I, they said they would walk away from Christianity instantly, you know, which is a very sad thing to hear. Um, but basically their whole life was about an avoidance of the penalty, um, not, very, not in any way about the enjoyment of being a part of the kingdom, which is a really sad thing to hear. So, okay, so with that said, and so um, we're talking about accountability here a little bit. Let's back up to the beginning now. So we've laid the foundation out. Now we're going to go back to verse 15, which is where we were supposed to start. If your fellow believer sins against you, go and tell him in private what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you have helped that person to be your brother or sister again. But if he refuses to listen, go to him again and take one or two people with you. Every case may be proved by two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, then treat him like a person who does not believe in God or like a tax collector. So accountability is important. That story has been used as a hammer in many, many cases. I think that might be the primary uh, um, text that's used to uh, is it excommunicate, discommunicate. Um, it, it, that is the primary one that's used. And so people will use this as a recipe to say, I want to kick somebody out of my church family. Anybody ever been a part of that or seen it happen? Yeah. Um, I, 
I, the only time I, the church I grew up in, I'm not sure they would, that they wouldn't have done it, but it, it never happened. We never had that situation, but we, I was visiting a church one time when during Sunday morning, they kind of walked through the process um, and excommunicated the person. They, the person wasn't there, no surprise. I think you're really excited to be a visitor. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a strange day. Um, um, but accountability is important in being able to forgive. I think um, in a small way, the way Jill pointed out to me just a couple days ago, like, I wish I remember how you said it. You said something like, you need to be careful, or you need to work through that, or you need to, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. I just said you need to be careful you're just seeing your side of it, and you're not thinking about what they're protecting. I just know I didn't like it. So. Sorry. Because accountability stinks. <laughs> yeah. It does. How many of you, when someone's really held you accountable, you just love it? No, it's awful. It's awful. We try to act like we like it, but we don't. Um, but accountability is important in being able to forgive. It's important to being to, to being able to forgive again. <clears throat> you ever had trouble forgiving the second time? And the 70 times seven times? Right? Just forgive. I can forgive someone once, and then they do it to me again. <laughs> That's really rough me wrong. And what about this idea of having to do this with no bounds, no limits? Very, very different. Forgive again. Forgive 70 times 7. Accountability is important in helping you deal with that perpetual offender. Helping you let it go. Um, so I think I would, I would say from this slide, the thing to take away is almost everyone in here is likely struggling with being able to forgive something in your life. Um, and I think uh, for me the big takeaway is this idea that we may need help to make this happen. And it may be more than Jesus. Um, it may be this community. Um, I think this community is really, really awesome about allowing people to be open and uh, you guys talk into your cell phones and then that talks out to people's cell phones sometime later. Are you talking about Marco Polo? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Whatever this thing is that you guys do. Um, but those kinds of things are really, really great, staying in contact um, and being a family. So, all right, so we're going to wrap it up here. So the final cud. Um, it's a strong statement, but unforgiven offenses are hell. What I really mean by that is if you are thinking about hell being this idea of being separated from God, hell being this idea that your life is not being as righteous as it could be. Um, this idea that things are not the way God would want them to be. Unforgiveness naturally causes that to happen. So when Jesus is talking about um, this is how his father would handle it, sometimes I wonder if those things might have been written because he was struggling to get the point across to people. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like many of the things that are we attribute to God as penalties are really nothing more than the penalty of not having God at the center of your life. It's just the natural things that happen when you don't follow God close, closely. Um, you have the ability to forgive and let it go. You have the ability to ask for forgiveness. You don't have the ability to force others to forgive or to force others to ask for forgiveness. And for me, this is like this is the root. This is the, the challenge 
Because that big list I had earlier of all those people that I'm frustrated with, I want them all, here, I want them all to ask for forgiveness. That's what I really want. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys got anybody that falls in that category right now that wouldn't it just be awesome if they would come to you and say, I am so sorry that I ruined your life and you now are whoever you are because of me. Um, <laughs> whatever that is. Do what? Oh, nothing? Okay. Anyways, um, but I think this bottom part is where a lot of our struggle lies because there are things we want to be in control of and we want to make happen and we just can't do it because it's not our job. It's not something we can do. We can, if the person wants to be held accountable, we can tell them that, but we can't make people ask us to uh, hold them accountable. We can go to them, you can say what you want to them, but they don't have to listen to you, okay? Accountability helps, and this is my opinion, and my opinion is that it helps in all cases. We start by assuming that you need some help, and then we go to Jesus Chats. Jesus Chats are another good place to start. And then this last one, and this is the one, um, kind of going back to what I said earlier, that is so big on accountability is that we need to be treasuring these close friends, especially the close friends who are bold enough to tell you what you need to hear. Anybody got a friend like that? Those are few and far between. And I think over the years, I've not... Um, I've not treasured those friendships, and in fact, sometimes I've kind of not liked them because accountability and being told things is not particularly enjoyable. And so if I've got a friend who's quite bold and will simply tell me how it is, um, it's not a part of that friendship that I remember fondly, okay? But I think it's something we need to seek out. Um, I, I'm lucky right now that I do have one uh, friend, my friend Bob, that's my accountability uh, partner or friend or whatever you want to call him, and um, and you know Bob will tell me how it is. I mean we'll we'll, we'll start chatting through something, and uh, and I really appreciate that. So um, as the final final cut there, I think that idea of treasuring your close friends, um, and if you don't have someone like that, really think long and hard and pray a lot about trying to find that person that will really set you in your place um, and help keep you uh, accountable and help you work through this whole forgiveness challenge. So with that said, we are, let's see if we were, we're really not out of time. That clock's five minutes ahead. Um, so I'm just gonna stop and give it a minute for anybody to share anything that's popped up in your mind you feel like needs to be said. Nothing. One thing I was thinking Thank you. 
I think a lot of times you think people just think forgiveness is that everything's all right and everything's rosy and that's where I think it's much more that you realize like the sin is saying that you wait how you are against them and kind of come to the conclusion that they're worthy to at least work on trying to forgive them for what they did. Yeah, you know, one thing I didn't bring up that's a really important point is that as you're leaving today, if you're carrying a big, deep burden as a result of this chat and you're feeling like, like, oh man, I, I was kind of okay with myself and now I'm feeling like I'm a horrible person because I, I'm realizing I haven't forgiven. My advice to you is when you're looking toward Jesus and you're walking in that direction, um, you know, you're on a righteous path and you don't need to feel um, bad about that. As Herb said, oftentimes uh, forgiveness is something that it's not going to happen like a light switch. It's going to happen over a long period of time. That doesn't mean that you cease trying, um, but I also think that you need to be careful about being completely absorbed with it. Um, and uh, I think that part I do okay with. I'm not completely absorbed with it, um, but I'm certainly struggling to uh, to just forgive and move on. So. I think... Yeah. You may, and it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them, but when you remember the pain or whatever situation it was, then you have to forgive again. And it doesn't make your previous forgiveness like illegitimate. It's just that pain creates a new place where you have to forgive. It's a great point because most of the things that I talked about are not reoccurring events. They're singular events, and I've kind of wiped my hands clean of them, but the truth is, I need to go back and re-forgive. And so I think that's what you're saying. It's this idea of re-forgiving even for the same thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, because memories create new things. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. Right. That needs to be forgiven again. Yeah. Let it go. Keep letting it go. <laughs> yes, Eric. I, I think when uh, someone has sinned against you, it's pretty easy to, in a sense, uh, rationalize sinning against
importantly than anything, help us to stay close to you and, uh, and know that you're there holding us and uh, helping us through everything we do. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.